Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. When I go to Toronto, I set up extra meetings with these other people outside of the board meeting so that we can have deeper conversations. I want to understand, what does this line item mean? You know, where are we on inventory? Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. So today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Michelle Ashby about getting on a board, about board work and about responsibilities and chairing of committees. But first, let me tell you about Michelle. Michelle is on the board of McEwen Mining and has previously been on the boards of Lake Victoria Gold, Lucky Strike Mining, Lithium X and Green Corp Energy. She was named one of the top 25 most powerful women in business in Colorado for 2019 and is the president and founder of ACE, Ashby Consulting Enterprises and Corporate Directors International. She originated ACE Board Training for Women, which has trained thousands of women for corporate boards and corporate directors international. She is the creator of Corporate Directors International Board Certification Exam, certifying candidates for corporate board service. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Michelle. Hi, Helia. So nice to join you and thanks for getting up so early on your side of the world so that we could do this. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. I can already tell. Uh, I know we've had a brief conversation before today and I know from your experience that this conversation is absolutely worth getting up early for. So, Michelle, before we explore some of these topics about getting on a board, you know, the responsibilities of being on a board and chairing committees and all the other things that I know we're going to talk about, I'd love to just firstly dig a little deeper about you. Can you tell me what was young Michelle like and when did you get your first inkling that you might end up in a governance role? Oh my gosh, well I guess I was a bossy little kid to start with. What I like to share with women about my younger self, I grew up here in Denver, I'm a native, and um, when I was, let's say, around five years old, a family moved in a couple houses away, and I watched them move in, and I noticed they had a little girl who was about my age. Probably a day or two later after they kind of settled in, I went over and knocked on the front door, and the mother opens the door, and I said, hi, 
my name is Michelle, and I noticed you have a little girl who's about my age. Who is that, you know? And that kind of reflects on, I think, my boldness and the fact that I was built in a way, you know, by nature to put myself out there and to, you know, identify what I want and go for it. And I think a lot of women are like that. And when we look at our, you know, who were we and what part of that as children, we can actually see some of those pieces that are very valuable for us to have now. And over time, right, we build up these layers of limitations because we're, you know, we feel like we have to be a certain way for other people. So I encourage women in particular to remember their true selves from that time when they felt free and unlimited and bring that back into who they are today. What a beautiful story to encourage us. I love that, to be free and unlimited. And even even your opening there, oh, I was a bossy little girl. It's like nothing wrong with being bossy or a little bit assertive as I prefer to think about it. Tell me, how did you get on your first board? I actually have been invited to every board that I've been on. So to date, I've been on six corporate boards, five public boards and one private. I currently sit on two boards. And I didn't know that the chairman was really looking at me as a value add to his board of directors. Literally a phone call. I was at a golf tournament and I answered the phone and the chairman said, hey, Michelle, it's Rob. I took over controlling interest of a company. I'm interested in having you on my board of directors. Would you like to join us? And I said, yes, of course. I didn't have any onboarding or training or governance background other than I ran. Actually, I do have governance background, but from other sources, not from a corporate board. So that was my first one, 2005. How did he know of you? How did that come about? You get the call out of the blue, but what was the background before that? Yeah, so it's all about who you know and what you know, right? The relationship. And um, my background is in finance and mining. So I was a stockbroker. And then I became a mining analyst. And then I started a trade association for the gold mining industry. And I ran that for 18 years. So that's how he got to know me because I worked with the CEOs of all the producing gold mining companies around the world, including Australia, and their largest institutional investors. So my Rolodex, if you can remember what a Rolodex was, was made up of these CEOs and all the top decision makers. So my reputation was around putting together large amounts of capital by represented by these institutional investors with major projects around the world that were that really needed to be funded. So people in the higher echelon and the executive suite knew who I was. So that's how you got on your first board. What about the last board that you joined? Tell us about that. Oh, I have a great story for that one. So you, um, it's called Monet, Inc., and it's traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And in November of 2018, I went to a conference, and I was at a booth, walked up to a booth, because it was a company I'd not recognized before. And I started talking to the woman who was in the booth and asking questions, who are you, what do you do? And I was very engaged because I was enamored with the whole concept of the company, What I didn't know was that the chairman CEO was standing in the background and he overheard our conversation. He came forward. We started talking with each other. I love what they do. I love the concept and and everything. He's brilliant, I think. 
And within 15 minutes, he looked at me and he said, Michelle, I'm going to follow my intuition. I'm looking for another board member. And I think you would be the right person. Would you be interested? I'm pretty sure my mouth fell open at that point because I would never tell another woman that I'm training that they could get invited to a board simply from that kind of an introduction. And yet it happened to me. And so by November, it was a new, a new company. They went IPO November of 2018. I went to Toronto, rang the bell with them at the Toronto Stock Exchange, joined the board. I chair the audit committee, you know, the rest is history. But wow, what a unique way to get invited to a board. Absolutely. I haven't heard that either. So uh, I'll add that to my list of stories as well about, in some ways, you know, putting yourself out there. And it's not, I I absolutely didn't hear in there that you put yourself out there to be on a board. You just put yourself out there at, at this trade fair, I think you said it was, yeah, and just was talking to people and engaging with people. And then through that engagement with no motive or request whatsoever, that's what comes of it. Yeah, isn't that just amazing? Uh, we uh, Here's the thing. I knew a lot of the people that he had involved with the company. Mm. And we have long history. Again, it goes back to my trade association days. And so the older investor gentleman that he got involved with in this company is a dear friend of mine from the 80s. And so we talked about him and then another one of his buddies. I, here's a tip, ladies. Make sure your LinkedIn is up to date and you are fully representing yourself. We had a, an interview the next day with one of his, he said, you know, a partner. He said, my partner's here. Can we meet with you tomorrow and do an interview at 10? I said, sure. And he went and did his homework on, in, on LinkedIn. And he called people from the companies that were listed on my LinkedIn. So he was buddies with the uh, CEO of Lithium X. Mm. And he called him and said, how is she as a board member? And Brian said, she's great. I'll have her on my next board. So he went and did his homework, even though it was such a short period of time. So then you've been on boards since that phone call on the golf course 15 years ago now. You've been on boards for 15 years. What have you seen that has changed in the boardroom and in particular around the board table? And who's around the board table? What I've witnessed the most is I think, you know, more scrutiny as far as regulatory. So board governance has become a lot more important. And I'm very, very aware of, you know, the regulatory part of the of being a director of a company. And the challenges never go away. But the challenges, because I'm in mining, have always been there. And one of the reasons I love it, you can have the best market in the world and there's still going to be a challenge. Like we can't find enough personnel or uh, processing the ore is too expensive, whatever the case may be. So it never is boring. That's for sure. Other than that, I don't know that it's it's there there are other things that I've noticed in particular about the board. It's really become more about the regulation and external sources, you know, like impact investors, you know, demanding more women on boards. So pushing for change from external sources as opposed to the board being insular and not, you know, actually having the ability to ignore anybody on the outside and just make up their decisions, whatever they want to do. Yeah, I was interested in hearing that because you've always had the call to be on a board, which in some ways kind of suggests, I guess, that it's within a particular network. They knew of you because you do work in the area. So uh, it's interesting in that because you want to have people from the sector, you want to have people who know the sector and who've got expertise. 
as well as people who are presumably from different sectors or different levels of diversity on boards. Is that how it works or are most of the people in your mining boards from the sector and have that real deep expertise in the sector? Right. So when I look at the diversity in the board, I'm looking for a matrix that's going to be made up of the right kinds of backgrounds that can help us make the best decisions. So I definitely want people in the mining industry, and I'm less likely to have people who are from outside the industry. So I'm looking for, in particular, I want, if we're in mining, we, we need somebody who has operations background. We need somebody with exploration. We need somebody with financial background. We need somebody potentially with the HR, but that is not actually represented necessarily. We do have two outside directors like, like who are not in mining on the McEwen board. And the Monet board, we have people who are in the gold side, but we also have people who are from jewelry, right, and marketing. And it, so you definitely want to have those differences, if you will. Let's call them differences instead of diversity and connectivity. There's some kind of relationship that is important that brings in what isn't talked about, which is trusting that the people around the table will honor confidential, the conversations that happen both in the boardroom as well as the meetings before the meeting. So there's this, you know, sense of being what they used to call the, the good old boys club. That's all because of, I know what my counterpart is going to do or not do. And that's like the basis, I think, of directors is really having that trusting relationship with each other. At least that's been my experience and trusting that they're bringing their best self to the table. And a lot of boards are dealing with some very difficult things right now with uh, coronavirus and COVID. So, and knowing that you've got the trust around the board table is absolutely key in that. And in fact, you mentioned in there about in the boardroom, but also sometimes about pre-meetings and meetings before the board. Tell me about what your view is there about the place of meetings, you know, the pre-meeting and how that works. Well, let me say that I think everything happens in the meeting before the meeting. So when we go into a formal board meeting as a public company, everything is on record. So we have a preset agenda and very typically we open the meeting, we approve the minutes, um, we have reports from the different committees, maybe uh, reports from management. We do our in-camera or executive session and we adjourn. All of that goes on the record, okay? And what we're looking for as a public company is unanimous voting on the record, no dissension. We want to see unanimous voting on the record. Well, how do you get all that work done? You don't have those conversations at the, at the table in the boardroom. Those are all held really in committee meetings prior to the board meeting. It can be meetings with two or three directors. It can be site visits, like we do site visits to our mine sites. As directors, we go in small groups or the whole, the whole board together. These are the critical times where we have the ability to really dive deep into, you know, the operations of our business, the financials of our business, questions, personnel, getting to know people. I myself, over the years, because I've been on McEwen since 2005, have spent a lot of time doing one-on-one -on -one lunches and coffees and phone calls with management, you know, with the CFO or our legal counsel or our investor relations person, or I always have a conversation with our uh, executive assistant, the person who takes care of 
our chairman's schedule and thing, you know, just kind of common sense, mm-hmm. I think, build relationships with people. So when things break down, it's not like you don't feel uncomfortable reaching out to each other. Those relationships are key, I think. And and take even more attention in some ways when you're a board member because you're not in the workplace all the time. You come in for board meetings. You're not always there. You don't always have the water cooler conversation in the same way as colleagues would do. So making uh, the effort to reach out, as I'm hearing you are doing, to maintain and build those relationships is absolutely vital. So you'd mentioned before you're the chair of the Audit and Risk Committee. Uh, Tell me about that role and what that involves. I think it's a big responsibility. I take it on as a big responsibility. And uh, my um, responsibility is to make sure that I've looked at the financials, that I have asked the questions. And if I don't get the answer I want, figure out what's behind that. I also build relationship with the auditor for the company. With the CFO of the company, I spend extra time you know, in person, especially when I go to Toronto, I set up extra meetings with these other people outside of the board meeting so that we can have deeper conversations. I want to understand what does this line item mean? You know, where are we on inventory? What's our level of inventory we feel comfortable with that's going to be our balance? You know, I mean, just things like that, that help me have a better understanding because if a director asks, me a specific question around the financials. I want to be able to address that as best as possible, or at least know where to direct them in order to get the answer. When we go back to the board meeting in, in the agenda as the chair, then it's, it's my role to make the recommendation that the board either accept or reject the, finance, the financials as they come through on a quarterly and annual basis. So it's really key for me to do my homework way before I get to that point at the board meeting. Being the chair of that committee, so compared to just inverted commas, being on the board, being the chair of that committee, just even in terms of the time commitment for that role, how, how has that been impacted for you? It's definitely more time, but as a committee chair, you get paid more as well. You know, there's usually a base compensation for every director and um, the chairs get more. The audit chair usually gets the biggest added amount because there is more work involved in it. So, yeah, I guess I don't know how to put it into hours, but like I said, I just make extra effort to have meetings with all of the the, uh, very important parties way before we get to the point of the meeting because the relationship is important. I want the auditor to take my call. If I call with a question, I don't want to be like three days away from hearing an answer. I want to have that person call me back within 24 hours so that I can expedite whatever I'm trying to do on my side. So another reason to have that important uh, connection. Absolutely. I can I can tell you're a relationship person and I mean that's the way it works. That is absolutely the way it works. So taking the time to build and nurture those relationships is yeah, absolutely key. So Helia, one of the keys one of the keys for that is that, you know, we can't be experts at everything. And I'm not an expert in auditing and I'm not an expert in balance sheets. And I rely on the people who are to be great at what they do and to be responsive 
and to be legitimate and, you know, check the boxes all the way down. We always listen to leaders who say, I'm a success because I've surrounded myself with the right people. And that's why the relationship part is really good. If I'm starting a conversation and I'm feeling weird about the person that's on the other end, if my red flags are going up, I'm going to do some deeper digging into why. Why is my intuition telling me this is not, mm, it doesn't feel right to me. Does that make sense as far as why the relationship is so important to me? It's how I function because I recognized a long time ago that I am not the expert. I know what I'm really good at. And the rest of it, I defer to legal counsel. Mm. I use legal counsel a lot. Like they're on my speed dial. I use the CFO a lot. I use the CEO a lot. So I rely on them and their expertise and experience to function at their levels and do what they're really good at. And then I fill in with mine. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you're part of a team. The board is a team in and of itself, but the organization is a team and the board works with the executive around those things. So absolutely, that makes perfect sense. So I'm wondering in your role on the board generally, but perhaps particularly as the chair of the Audit and Risk Committee, how ESG factors, environmental, social and governance factors kind of arise and how they kind of characterise themselves in the boardroom and how investors are raising these sorts of issues now? That's a really good question. This is, I don't know how it is in Australia. ESG has kind of been coming, uh, becoming more prominent as a conversation. And um, I think, you know, bigger companies have a lot more budget that they can allocate to making sure that these things are done right and they get all their T's crossed and I's dotted and that type of thing. And smaller companies, like I'm on company boards that are smaller, we don't have the budget and the expertise. So we're kind of stretched, but we're very aware of ESG. And uh, to me, it's a combination of some other things that have already been in place. For instance, I'm on the committee that is health, safety, and environment. So if we take ESG, it's environment, social governance, and social impact and governance. So it's a combination of our community, our relationships with communities where we have projects, how we treat the environment, and then making sure we have good governance. So ESG is pretty much covered, at least on that board that I'm a part of already. It just isn't labeled that. So I'm guessing that most companies have that piece in place. Now for the Monet Jewelry Company, we don't have ESG at least not yet, I think because it's just the nature of the business is completely different. We sell, you know, investment jewelry, 24 karat gold and pure platinum jewelry. That's the business. So we're not digging up the, you know, the environmental part is probably not a part of it. Social interaction, probably not a part of it. Governance. Yeah, we have a non-gov committee within our board. And so that covers our governance part. On that second one particularly, is there any, you know, I'm thinking whilst your organisation doesn't do the mining and so on, obviously there would be supply chain issues. Is that part of how you think about ESG on that organisation? We buy the gold directly from, you know, it's already been refined. We don't buy it from the mine. So we're actually buying it from stockpiles of gold bars. Like we have a relationship with a company that that's what they do. So we're kind of more than arm's length away from it. So I don't think that it really applies to us. 
you, I said in the introduction, you have trained thousands of women. I want to go down a slightly different path. And you've trained thousands of women for the boardroom. What can you tell me about what you're seeing for women and what's your advice to them? Absolutely. So I, I'm going to correct that a little bit. My goal is to train an army of women, a thousand, and I've trained actually 62. I hate to make, you know, but I've done a very good job with those 62. <laughs> of the 62, 19 are already on 24 boards paying boards, and four of them have been appointed to CEO roles after taking the course. So I started this project in 2018, where I launched the ACE Board Training Certification Program for Women. And I train in the U.S. and Canada. And what I want is to inspire women to be courageous enough to step up into leadership roles that are in the boardroom and in the CEO role. This is where the big decisions are made. This is where effect happens. It isn't from the bottom up, it's from the top down. The decisions that made made in the boardroom for budget, for projects, et cetera, et cetera, that affects everybody else that's underneath. The executive team, the management, the workers, the clients, the investors, everybody. This is what men taught me. I was mentored by men, three decades in two male-dominated industries, finance, and mining. And I did really well because I had great male mentors who took me along. They included me. They taught me. They supported me. They funded me with big money. I mean, you know, these guys really gave me everything to help me succeed. So that's what I'm actually turning around and doing for women is filling the gaps of what they didn't get from male mentors. I know it really well. And this is where I see the piece where women can, like we talked about originally, who were you as a little girl? What were those characteristics? Now, how do I get into the executive boardroom? You've got, let's say you've got the experience, you've got the skills, you've had the accomplishments. Where I find the biggest difference is not in competency. It's about executive presence. And it comes from the fact that women, not that they don't have practice at it, but they haven't been taught in the male patriarchal way. They try and emulate it, but there's these nuances, what I call executive vernacular, for instance. And that can be in your written word on your board resume. It can be in your elevator pitch and the way you talk about yourself. You know, one of my favorite things that I say to my ladies is, if you were a guy, what would you do in that situation? And then they go, oh, well, the guy would da 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 And they get it. It's like, oh, yeah, it's okay to raise my hand even though I don't have 100%. It's like, pick me. I'll do it, and I'll do it better than the guy. Absolutely. Put your hand up. Push yourself forward. Be that guy. You got to get in the room. I'm here to help women get in the room and make the decisions. And I'm a cheerleader, I'm a mentor, I'm a pusher. Like all of my graduates, they don't get rid of me. Trust me, I keep bugging them. Like, why aren't you pushing yourself? Why aren't you at that networking event? Why aren't you calling that person that you said you were gonna call and ask them if they had any boards available for you? So here's a really great example. I've learned that I need to, to drink my own medicine that I'm giving to women. I have my eye on another board. 
I want to sit on one more really good growth gold company board. So here's what I did about three weeks ago. I sent an email to the chairman. I've known him for a long time. Again, back to the trade association. And I've never asked to get on a board before. And I type this little note and I say, hey, how you doing? I'm, you know, I'm a shareholder. I bought some of your stock. So excited about what you're, you guys are up to. I said, I'm awkwardly asking if, if possible, I could be considered for a board seat. He writes me right back and I'm going to tell you what he said. Oh, I love that you've just got it stuck up on the wall next to you. Brilliant. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. We have too many men on that board and for sure. I will be looking to adding some females who are good, like you. But for now, the board is too big already, 10, and only one woman. All due to X, I can't name the guy's name, who's 76 and old-fashioned. In the next year, I'm hoping two men will step off, allowing me to add one more female. I'd like to consider you then and hope we can chat when that happens. I'll be in touch. All good wishes to one of my heroes. And then in parentheses, he says, uh, that's you. And then signs his name. Oh, I can totally see why you've got that on the wall, Michelle. That is <laughs> such a <laughs> fabulous story. I love that, that you are supporting other women to put their hand up and that that helped to inspire you. It's like, I've never asked to be on a board. I feel uncomfortable doing this, but I am going to do it anyway. So you're pushed for, through that discomfort and look at that beautiful response. Not now, yes, but I'll keep you in mind for later. Oh, I could not think of a better story to finish our conversation on. Um, Michelle, this has been such an awesome conversation. And for those listening, I'm sure they can recognise some of those things about you being a cheerleader and pushing people along and why aren't you putting your, your hand up for that role? I'm sure some are probably listening to this and thinking, yeah, that's pushy Helia. She does the same to push us along. So, you know, we have covered a whole bunch of stuff in our conversation today from your first role to your last board role to hopefully your next board role to chairing committees to some of the, the issues that you deal with. What are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? We need more women on boards, and that means we need you. You know, if you're asking yourself the question about would I be a good board member and you're curious, pursue it, please. It's our civic duty, I believe, to get on boards and to take those roles. And also know that life is not fair. This is not a place that's going to be easy necessarily. It's like being the pioneers at the next level once again. So know that it's going to be a responsibility and that other women will benefit from your bravery to reach out and to go out there and try, try, try. You know what? When they say no, just try again, right? It's really like don't give up. Don't give in. If you need training, get some, you know, obviously your podcast is a great place for women to learn more about boards. I've listened to a number of your other interviews and you have fabulous intel. So really, you know, use that to help yourself prepare, whether it's my program, your, your program, or whatever else is out there. Seek it out, educate yourself, but don't just hold it in. You've got to get your, open your mouth and say, I want to be on a board, okay? One more thing, a paying corporate board, not nonprofit, 
Mm-mm. No, I want you all on paid corporate boards. Where are the big decisions made? It's where the power and the money is. Look at Trump. Trump is a businessman. If we were on his board, we'd have a lot to say. We'd be in the White House with him right now. I think I think we definitely would have a lot to say, yeah, Michelle. <laughs> I know, but I'm just showing you that that's, yeah. that, that's, the, that's kind of the ultimate kind of power, but that's why I do what I do in the business world. Fantastic. Now, is there a resource that you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Is there a book or a podcast or a TED Talk? Yes. So the TED Talk that I recommend to your audience is called The Imposter Syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's a gentleman who's from Australia. You will probably all recognize him. I only know him because I share that TED Talk with all of my candidates in our training. It actually applies to men and women, and women have the imposter syndrome just as much as guys do. I think that one's really good. And if you're in the boardroom, we have this new thing, like with um, cybersecurity and around cryptocurrencies. And so blockchain is a, is a big topic. Mm-hmm. So there's a book written by a woman here in the U.S. called Blockchain in the Boardroom. She's a patent attorney. I love her approach to helping us understand who's leading in blockchain and it's coming. We're all going to be in it. If we, you know, if you haven't noticed, we're in it already. And so that's like giving you the edge to be like a little bit ahead of everybody else. When you go to that networking event, you can say, oh, I read this recent book, um, Blockchain in the Boardroom and blah, blah, blah. So it's a great tool to help you get ahead of the game and show yourself as a competent board candidate. Fantastic. Thank you. We'll make sure we put links to both of those uh, resources in the show notes, as well as, of course, links to how to find you and how to find out more about what you do as well. Michelle, thank you so much. That has been a really awesome conversation. Uh, Plenty of incredibly valuable flicks of gold there for people to hear about getting on a board and being on a board. So thank you so much for being part of the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you, Helia, for having me. It's been just delightful. And I'm so honored to actually be able to um, participate with your audience that's so far away from us. But, you know, we're all we're all pretty close in the end. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.